Well, somewhere around the beginning of 2020, our pastoral staff began reading a book together called Canoeing the Mountains by Todd Bolsinger. As we were reading it, it seemed interesting, intriguing, informative, and relevant. But as time went on, it began to seem much more like prophecy, almost like a gift of God's providence. In the book, Bolsinger uses the story of Lewis and Clark and their core of discovery to derive key concepts about leadership moving into uncharted territory. You may remember that Thomas Jefferson commissioned Lewis and Clark and their team um, to find the Northwest Passage this infamous water passageway from the Atlantic to the Pacific Ocean. That's what they were commissioned to do. And of course, they did find a path, and they forged a path from the Atlantic to the Pacific, one that inspired so many people to set forth across the continent and to find a new life and new adventure, but not in the way that they thought. Because just as they were coming through the forest, at the place where they had assumed that they were about to see and perceive the beginning of that water passageway, what they encountered was something that they hadn't imagined or anticipated before. The Rocky Mountains. They'd expected the terrain behind them, or the terrain ahead of them, to look much like the terrain behind them. That's what they'd prepared for. But this was not the case. The path forward would be much different than the path behind them because the terrain ahead of them was much different than the terrain behind them. Does this sound familiar at all? It should. And I think it will. We started reading that book just before the pandemic began. In the midst of reading it, everything began to change. The, the path before us began to look much different than the path behind us, like nothing we'd experienced before. The challenges ahead of us were being cited again and again and again as something that was unprecedented. A word we heard an unprecedented amount of times. And for good reason. At the outset and throughout these 20 months, the challenges we've faced have often felt like coming out of a forest with paddles and canoes, expecting to see a body of water on the other side, but instead finding for the first time something like the Rockies as we stare up at them with this sinking feeling that we are not prepared for what's ahead and we left all of our high mountain hiking gear back home. How do we move forward? And how do we move forward well in the face of challenges like this? Knowing that in some ways, perhaps in many ways, our world has changed in a way and it's never going to change back. Is the answer simply to, to sit here and grieve it? Well, that's one of the answers. In fact, in a couple of weeks we're going to talk about the good gift of grief 
and how God has given it to us for our healing and our restoration. We, we've, we've heard that denial is more than just a river in Egypt, and the reason people say that is because denial will not bring about a healthy and holy future. In part, when we go through things like we're going through, we need to do so honestly. Naming and grieving our way there because we've experienced loss, real loss, an accumulation of losses, in fact, little and large. And we've got to acknowledge all of that. Much like that children's song that many of us sang when we were younger, we can't go over it, we can't go under it, we can't go around it, we have to go through it. And in many ways, we must go through it together. So how will we do that? How will we do that in healthy and holy and hope-filled ways? Well, I think it's going to come down a lot more to doing something like identifying some mysterious list of 49 ways we can live our best post-apocalyptic lives and more with us individually and collectively learning to live more humbly with our eyes and our hearts open, with a, with a kind of openness and, and generosity, posturing ourselves more openly before God and one another to what God might want to do and how God might want to do it. And this is actually the invitation of Isaiah 43. In Isaiah 43, the prophet asked the people to forget the former things. And that's not because the former things are bad. In fact, the former things for them were always a significant touchstone for the foundation and the future of their faith. The language of, 40, of Isaiah 43 is actually obviously meant to remind them of this too. Because it reminds them of one of the most foundational and formational moments in their history. The one they're invited to remember again and again and again. The Exodus. When these people find themselves in the midst of tumultuous moments, when these people find themselves in the midst of moments where they can't feel God, where they feel like God has left them, when they don't know what to do next, or, or, or how God might actually deliver them from this particular unprecedented moment, they're invited to remember that they serve the God who delivered them out of bondage from slavery in Egypt with a strong arm and an outstretched hand. With their backs to the wall, Faced with destruction at the hands of one of the most powerful nations in the history of the world, and with very little way to defend themselves, God made an unprecedented way forward for them through the waters of the Red Sea. And, and until that moment, they couldn't have conceived of this. They couldn't have conceived that God would deliver them in this way. They couldn't have imagined that something like this was possible. And yet beyond that moment, they couldn't think of God's love or faithfulness or power without thinking of it. Exodus had been something that they couldn't have conceived of in the past. And now they were an Exodus people. And God used prophets and priests and kings to remind them of this again and again and again, which makes it strange, I think, 
that we would hear these words from Isaiah about forgetting the former things. Forget the former things? Don't dwell on the past? Why? Well, this is why. And maybe this can sound familiar too. Because in this moment, their attachment to the past was keeping them from God's future. In this moment, their attachment to the ways God had worked with them and through them in the past was keeping them from perceiving and embracing God's future. So God says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? I'm making streams in the wilderness, away in the wasteland. Sometimes our focus on former things can keep us from effectively perceiving our best future possibilities. They can become a barrier, a blind. This was not so, by the way, with Lewis and Clark. Lewis and Clark and their team could have easily turned back. They could have easily buckled or broken under the daunting and difficult circumstances that lied ahead of them, but instead they succeeded in ways they could have never before conceived of or imagined. Because in the midst of unforeseen and unimagined challenges, their true depth was revealed. With courage and ingenuity and teamwork, they dug deep listening deeply and humbly to one another <laughs> in a way that allowed them to move forward in a way that they weren't prepared for. They hadn't prepared for this. They hadn't made plans for this. They hadn't brought the right materials for this, but they were able to move forward effectively because they realized they had the right team for this, the right community for this, the right combination of people for this, because within them and among them, they had the right inner resources and the right inner instincts. And because they learned to listen openly to one another, and, and their collective and creative instincts, humility and a dogged determination helped them actually enable one another to adapt well and achieve something momentous together that before this challenge they never would have before conceived. And I think we can do that as well. In her book, The Great Emergence, Phyllis Tickle says that the church has a great rummage sale about once every 500 years, which is important. Every 500 years, she says, there's a kind of upheaval. The church and the culture has a great rummage sale once every 500 years. And this is important because if we look back a little over 500 years from this moment, what we see is the great Protestant Reformation. A moment when things converged in the church and in the culture in such a way to create a great rummage sale. A massive movement prompting massive change. And what that tells us now is that we are overdue. If there is an upheaval, a rummage sale, every 500 years, we are due. 
And really, we knew it. Changes in our culture and in our technology and in our world and in our politics and in so many other ways have, have been bringing about major shifts and changes in the church, ways we knew we've needed to respond to for quite some time. We know this. This is why canoeing the mountains and books like it get written and bought. Because people know it and they're trying to figure it out. We know it, we expected it, and we've been preparing for it like many others. Polishing our paddles, building our canoes, strengthening our strokes for the wavy water ahead, not knowing or expecting that what was ahead was not a new kind of waterway, but a new kind of wilderness. And this is what's going on in Isaiah 43 as well. There has been a great rummage sale in their world. They're now living in exile where everything is different, and they want to go back. They want to go back to the way their life was before, and, and in some ways, for, for some of these people, it's only going to be okay in the future if the hope and the promise and the possibility of the future looks just like the past. Only going to be okay if what's ahead looks just like what was behind them. We're not moving forward, they might say, unless we're moving forward like that. Does that sound familiar? We're not going to embrace the future unless the future looks like that. We're not going to move into the future unless we can move into the future like that. We need for you to make a way for us across this daunting and difficult wave of these seas, O oh God, like that. We need you to part the waters of this situation for God, for us, God, like you did back then. So we'll actually know it's from you. And God is saying to us, friends, I hate to tell you this, but that right there is going to be a big part of your problem. Because the terrain ahead of you looks nothing like the terrain behind you. So if you are doggedly committed to only experiencing a future that looks just like your past, then we've got barriers ahead of us that are much bigger than the ones out there. We've got barriers ahead of us that need to be broken down in here. When God says through Isaiah that these people should forget the former things, God is not saying the former things are bad. No, they're good. They were, they were grand. They should be celebrated. Faith could, should continue to be built on these things. But if we become too attached to the former things, our rigid attachment to God's former things may just cause us to miss God's future things. Behold, God says, I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? I believe so much of the exciting and energizing work that we have ahead of us is now the work of perceiving it. Our church and churches all over our world are now at a place where we need to thoughtfully slow down, pause, look around, and consider what it might mean for us to take the mountain ahead 
in the way that God has uniquely equipped us and is calling us to do so. It's soon going to be a time for us to pause thoughtfully together and consider a renewed sense of our collective identity and vision. So we're planning for that. In fact, Connie's been actively in conversation with a leader and a consultant that is just absolutely outstanding to help us with this. And if this plan continues to move forward, we're going to be enriched by a visioning and discernment process as a church. It's going to be very exciting. And I believe that much like Lewis and Clark and their core of discovery, God has already equipped us with all of the resources we need to do all of the beautiful and wonderful things that God is calling us forward to do in the future that God wants to provide with us and and through us. But to participate with God in that, we're going to have to be able to perceive it, to see it, and to be open and willing enough to embrace it. And I hope and believe that we will. And you know, this practice of clarifying identity and mission and vision at this particular time in our lives is not just something that would be healthy and holy for us as a community, but for us as individuals as well. It can be so renewing to clarify at new places and spaces in our lives as individuals what it is that is ours to do. What's our vocation? What is God calling and equipping us to do in the world right now? And by the way, one of the things you're going to have an opportunity to do next summer is uh, Emmett and Andrea and Connie are working on these discernment groups. Emmett's a certified spiritual director, you may know. And there's going to be opportunities and groups for us to consider together what it is that God is calling us, not only as groups, but as individuals to do as we move forward right now. That's a holy enterprise. Something I thought we might ponder even in these moments as we continue in worship together. So what I want you to do is I want you to find a blank space on your worship guide and something to write with. And I want you to hear the invitation that Frederick Buechner offers in this meditation that's on the front of your worship guide. When he says, listen to your life. See it for the fathomless mystery that it is. In the boredom and the pain of it, no less than the excitement and gladness. Touch, taste, smell your way to the holy and hidden heart of it. Because in the last analysis, all moments are key moments. And life itself is a grace. So this is what I want to invite you to do as we continue to worship I want to invite you to listen to your own life, to listen to your own heart, and see if there is an intersection between a few, these aren't all of them, but a few different spaces and places in your own heart and design and life that might point you to who you are and what God might be calling you to do now and next. So as the music plays, and Julie's going to begin to play softly, find the space somewhere, Take out a pencil or a pen, and I want you to consider these three things. We've done something like this before. First, what are your gifts? What are your gifts? 
Gifts are things that God has given you to use. They include things that you can't control, like your parents, your family, your nationality, your race, your language. They also include things like your spiritual gifts, your abilities, your heart, your personality, and your experiences. This is really broad. But I want you to take just a minute and begin to write down what you think some of your gifts are, your innate gifts are. What are your gifts? What are your gifts? Then next alongside that, I want you to consider what you're passionate about right now. What do you enjoy doing? What do you enjoy reading? What is that thing or that group of things that brings you joy and satisfaction when you do it or talk about it or read about it? What, what stirs you up? What are you passionate about? Think about, brainstorm about some of those things alongside your gifts. What are your gifts? What are some of your passions right now? Not 10 years ago, right now. And then thirdly, I want you to consider for just a moment what upsets you, what disturbs you, what causes you to, to think somebody ought to do something about that. It could be something local, it could be something global. What is it that you find unsettling in this world? here's a hint, it may relate to some wound in your own life. It may relate to how someone has, has hurt you, a particular struggle that you have. One way or another, God has stirred up a holy unrest in you about this thing that upsets you. Julie's going to continue to play for a couple more minutes for our song of response. And I want you to think specifically about your own life. Listen to your life. What are your gifts? What are your passions? What are your wounds? What disturbs you? What upsets you? What do you think something ought to be done about? Brainstorm those things and then begin to prayerfully consider if there is any intersection within them that might re represent God's calling upon your life right now. <laughs> 